If you are just getting started with the NGSS and 3D teaching, I want to invite you to check out Bring Wonder Back, an on-demand video series designed to help you understand why moving through the textbook and teaching topics is actually crushing your students' curiosity and what you can do instead. It's going to help you shift the work of learning where it belongs by building your understanding of explorations and discovery-based teaching practices. And finally, I'm going to help you take the first steps toward transforming your students into scientists through 3D learning, which is really what the NGS is all about. You can access this video series at iExploreScience/wonder and get ready to bring wonder engagement and a love for learning back to your science class. All right, to the show. Welcome to the Teaching Science in 3D podcast. My name is Nicole Van Tassel. And I'm Erin Sadler. And we are two science teachers dedicated to helping you cut through the confusion and meet the intent of the NGSS so you can master all three dimensions. The NGSS can seem totally overwhelming, but implementing these standards doesn't need to be. Hey guys, this is Nicole Van Tassel here for another solo episode. So you're all mine for however long this takes. <laughs> um, with that in mind, thanks so much for tuning in and being a part of our podcast community. If you are not a part of the NGSS for Middle and High School Science Teachers Facebook group, please head on over there. It's the perfect place to post your questions. Um, we'll be doing some awesome Q&A episodes in the next season, and they're basically going to come from questions from our listeners like you. So posting those in there, perfect opportunity to do that. Okay, so today we're going to be talking about um, one of my favorite topics, using discovery in your instruction to create that like explore before explain or discovery-centered instructional approach. So in episode 10, I shared the difference between discovery-centered instruction or like an explore-before-explain approach and teaching as telling. Now, if you haven't listened to that episode, you need to pause and head back there because you really need to understand what I mean by discovery-centered instruction before we can dive into strategies that utilize, you know, to utilize discovery-centered instruction. Unfortunately, it is pretty easy to like take the discovery out of an activity and we definitely don't want that to happen. So I want you to know the difference between teaching as telling and this explore before explain or discovery centered approach. So again, episode 10, head back there if you need to. If you're ready to move on, uh, we will just very briefly review in any type of discovery centered activity, students are basically given time and opportunity to explore what they currently believe and to demonstrate what they already know as they attempt to make sense of something, whatever it is they're exploring. It's some sort of phenomenon. It's an event. It's something that they've, they've witnessed. It's a challenge you're trying to solve. They're discussing their ideas. They're beginning to formulate possible explanations. They're really just like puzzling it out. They're trying to make sense of what they can see or experience or feel or touch or whatever. They are not using appropriate vocabulary and that is okay. They shouldn't know the appropriate vocabulary. They're only using what they currently know. And the teacher's role in this stage is to provide the appropriate background information and materials for students to carry out the activity. Beyond that, the teacher is just a facilitator. You're listening to them. You're making observations when necessary. Maybe you're asking some guiding questions, but you are not validating correct answers. You are not... Um, 
telling students when they are wrong. Instead, you are redirecting through observations, through questions, through challenges. But again, you're not correcting, you're not um, acknowledging when students are correct. You are simply encouraging them to puzzle it out or figure it out. So what are some of my favorite activity formats that utilize this kind of discovery-centered approach and how do you use them? Okay, so I'm gonna share with you a couple. I'm gonna share with you investigations and simulations, creating models, using data, and um, some card sorts and observation stations. So these are my favorites. Now, investigations, we'll start there. These are a great way to help students discover the content because they're very hands-on, and when they're done well, they're very minds-on. That means that students are naturally going, I mean, they're just gonna require students to use their brains, again, if they're done well. Now, these investigations could be formal experiments or they could be field investigations where students are simply like collecting data in the form of measurements and observations. But either way, for it truly to be a discovery or an explore activity, students have to be designing these investigations themselves. If you're providing a step-by-step -step procedure that all students follow and that they all come to the same results at the end, that is not discovery-centered instruction. That's just a cookie cutter, step-by-step, -step, baking a cake from a box, and it's not developing science and engineering practices, it's not helping them understand um, the content, it's not helping them um, discover the content. So I mentioned this, this example, I believe actually in episode 10, but I'm just gonna mention it really quickly again. If your goal is for students to understand the connection between kinetic energy and mass, or maybe kinetic energy and height, you could have students do a lab where you give them a step-by-step -step set of instructions and essentially all students realize, you know, greater mass has more kinetic energy, greater height has more kinetic energy. I followed the teacher's instructions. These are the results I got. This is what she told me to think. Or you could just ask, give your students the um, task of build some ramp systems and see who can push the box or whatever the farthest. Through that investigation, through that activity, you start asking students, well, what do you notice? Who was most successful? What, what did these designs have in common? Um, and you're gonna be surprised by how, how quickly students realize that the higher the ramp and the heavier the marble, or like the more mass the marble has, the more energy that marble has. They put the connection together, they walk away with that understanding, you did not tell them what to do, you did not give them step by step, they puzzled it out and they figured it out on their own. And that's also an opportunity to bring in when it doesn't work and well, what could you change in your design or what were some problems with the design of your, um, of your ramp or even of your investigation. So these are all science and engineering practices that you can involve students in um, that also help them to understand the content. Simulations are very similar. Some simulations, unfortunately, are less explore and they're more explain. They um, give you step-by-step -step procedure that you follow. They just simply give students information after they click on different parts. Those are not explore simulations. Those simulations have their place in the, um, they have their place in the instructional sequence. Those are great for like explain or elaborate but they are not the types of activities you want to use for exploring content or helping students discover ideas. Um, alternatively, simulations like the FET simulations are amazing. Um, they 
really Heston is just monkeying with different variables and coming to conclusions on their own. If you provide some guiding questions to help students um, maybe systematize that, that exploration, that, that monkeying around, that making observations, um, you can definitely use a, a simulation like that to help students discover your content. Now, creating models is another one where it could be done poorly and it becomes just an explain activity, or it can be done in a, an amazing way and it helps students really understand what is happening. Creating models, um, basically at this point of learning, models are 3D representations of a phenomenon that students are going to be able to manipulate to determine what best explains that phenomenon. The conceptual models, which is like their drawings that illustrate what they think is happening, would follow that 3D manipulation. But if they're trying to figure out the content from the model, then obviously it's going to be a 3D kind of thing that they are going to have to manipulate and test their ideas on. My favorite example of this is using a lamp and a ball to figure out the sun-earth-moon relationship that explains the moon phases. The idea is that you're simply giving students the materials and then you ask them to recreate the phases of the moon. They have to figure out how the objects align and move in order to recreate what they've observed, which is, you know, the phenomenon of the moon changing phases. This is activity so much more valuable than the pointless but really yummy Oreo cookie moon phases because it's actually engaging your students in figuring out what explains what they observe. Um, and I'm going to link in the show notes to the YouTube video that models this activity. Now in the video, the teacher is using this as a demonstration. So to get that discovery approach, you would actually want your students to be manipulating the materials. And again, just trying to figure out how everything aligns in order to basically reproduce the phases of the moon. Um, graphs and data are another great way to help students discover content. Uh, you can always present your students with data or graphs and then ask them to just draw connections from what they're seeing. It can be difficult to find data for some phenomena, but if you take a, uh, just a little bit of time, usually you can dig some up. Um, basically, provide your students with the data. Maybe it is a graph. Maybe it is just a data set that they're going to actually organize themselves and graph themselves. Maybe it is a map that shows the sites of earthquake locations, or maybe it's um, a database of stars. Maybe uh, it is just um, a graph that shows the relationship between water availability and plant growth. Basically, you give students your data and you ask them to start making observations. What do they see that, um, what do they notice, first of all? Just what types of observations can they make about the data? Then what conclusions can they draw from those observations? Or what questions do they have about what they're observing? Now, in these activities, sometimes, sometimes with data, you do need to provide students some background information, not so much on what they are, not so much on the concepts, but really on how to read the graph or how to read um, the data table, what, what it, the data is really representing. And in that case, yes, provide those supports, help students understand what they're working with. But at the same time, try to avoid wholeheartedly making um, connections for them. Try to avoid pointing out the patterns for them. Just really encourage them to make those connections, to see those patterns, and to draw those conclusions. The last type of activity I want to share with you is card sorts and observation stations. 
So these are less, um, there's less of a science and engineering practice involved here. You know, with modeling, with the graph, with the modeling, you have developing and using models. With the graphs and data, you have analyzing and interpreting data. With investigations and simulations, you have planning and carrying out investigations. Card sorts and observation stations rely less on the science and engineering practices and more on the cross-cutting concepts of identifying patterns. Um, but card sorts are a super easy and quick way to incorporate discovery. They're great, and same with observation stations. They are great for concepts that relate to grouping, comparing and contrasting, um, especially to concepts that are too big or too difficult to bring directly into the classroom. You can even use them to create like hierarchies, like looking at the movement of energy and matter or like food webs, things like that. Basically, card sorts require students to identify patterns, looking for similarities and differences. And then through that process, they begin to understand the concept that they're studying. So for example, I love to use a card sort to teach um, food webs. I have cards that have, um, this is like, uh, I've done it with stream ecosystems and then I've done it with like help force and you can find this resource actually in my teachers pay teacher store. I will link to that in the show notes. But basically students have different card sorts um, or different cards that represent different parts of the ecosystem of like a kelp force ecosystem and a stream ecosystem there's two different activities and on those cards there are i call it their field notes so they um they're just notes that you know an imaginary scientist took about ob observing that organism so they you know measured this they they took a sample of water and found this algae in it or they took, um, they spotted a, an eagle flying and then some notes about like what eagles eat and things like that. Students start by looking at the cards, cards and they sort them and they first understand the difference between like producers, consumers, and decomposers. And then they start looking into and using those cards to actually create food webs and seeing how these different organisms are actually interrelated, which is also described on the card, like the bald eagle. Uh, card might say which fish they eat and then the fish card might um, have other information about where it gets its food like it eats the kelp and then now we have a connection we have a food chain that students can create from those cards so that's an, a quick and easy way to incorporate cross-cutting concepts again less of a focus on science and engineering practices but that's okay your goal is to create balance over time in the science and engineering practices the cross-cutting concepts and the disciplinary core ideas not to necessarily focus on every single dimension in every single activity. Um, now, observation stations are very similar to card sorts, except that you're actually, you know, bringing that phenomenon to your classroom. So these are like quick activities, quick demos, quick um, labs that students would rotate through that would help them understand different concepts. Like maybe the properties of matter or the difference between chemical changes, you know, aka chemical reactions and physical changes. Students can rotate through different stations that represent these properties or these changes. They can make observations, identify similarities and differences, and basically figure out how to classify changes or use the properties of matter to identify matter um, as part of their learning sequence. So those are a few of my favorite activities that you can use to guide students to discovery. No matter what approach you use, the most important thing to remember is that less is more. Less information, less intervention, less explanation. Basically step back and give your students time to just puzzle through the phenomenon using the materials you're providing. They honestly, they can figure it out themselves 
whether you're giving them tangibles or data or descriptions on cards, with your support, they can figure it out. That said, sometimes your students do need some extra support in the initial transition phase. So I've linked to a blog post with a few ways that you can support students as they adjust to this new style of instruction. You can check out the show notes um, to get some ideas with that if you find that your students are, are struggling with a discovery-centered approach. Um, I hope this, idea, this episode has given you some good ideas to incorporate some discovery into your science classes. As always, if you have any questions, just join us in our Facebook group, NGSS for Middle and High School Science Teachers, to continue this conversation, and I will link to the group in the show notes. Thanks so much for tuning in, guys. Have a great one. Making sure that your lessons are three-dimensional isn't always easy. While you don't need to include all three dimensions every single day, you do want to make sure that each dimension is regularly addressed. I developed a really simple 3D planner to help keep me focused. It helps me track which pieces I'm using in my daily lesson plans. It only takes me five minutes to fill out, and it helps me notice patterns in my own lesson planning. For example, when I first started using it, I noticed I wasn't including the cross-cutting concepts as often as I thought I was. Just by recognizing this, I was able to focus on this one piece and improve my lessons. Right now, you can grab the same template that I use for my own planning for free. Go to sadlerscience.com slash 3dplanner to grab yours. That's sadlerscience.com slash 3dplanner.